You're listening to Pop, the History Makers, with me, Steve Blame. On this part two of the Jimmy Helms interview, enjoy the ride, which has been a long, long road to success, the London Beat hit, I've Been Thinking About You, and the video shoot where we first met, and the double-decker bus party that neither of us can remember that well. But first, back to the musical hair, which was about youth, rebellion and love, and satirised racism. How did the attention of that role then help your further musical uh, music career? Good question. Um, there was a scene in Hair where uh, uh, um, the it's a very symbolic scene. There's a lot of the this this the show was symbolic scene where the American flag is. Uh, um, placed on the floor of the stage on the ground. And this is a big no-no in American uh, uh, society. You don't do that. <laughs> uh, we had the, the show was shut down for I think two weeks because of this move. Uh, the local councillors and politicians uh, were up in arms saying, you, you, you could go to jail, you could go to prison for doing this. We're going to shut the show down and decide what's going to happen at that point. Well, it was uh, a mixed blessing because uh, I, at that point I got uh, a chance to do television in New York. There was a, 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 a nationwide program called The Merv Griffin Show, which uh, asked me to come back because I'd done this show quite a few times before. I came back on the Merv Griffin show and talked about this uh, incident in Boston uh, that most other cities had overcome with their local uh, politicians and it wasn't a problem anymore. But Boston being the conservative kind of town that it was and in many ways still is, uh, this issue of the flag on the floor uh, was a big deal. So I went on the Merv Griffin show, sang a couple of songs, went back went back again and again and again. And it started to give me more and more profile in America because uh, this was a liftoff. Uh, and so, as I say, it was a mixed blessing in that sense of the word. So how did that turn into um, sort of suddenly having the UK on your radar? Because <laughs> if, if the 60s were, you know, this whole process uh, that you went through and then a sort of the, the bit of the catapult at the, at the end because of hair, and then came a decade where the UK sort of became more important. So how did that turn into actual record? And then how did that turn into coming to the UK? Okay, my time in here was coming to an end. Uh, I had, as I say, uh, at, uh, this exposure uh, at my fingertips with the Merv Griffin show and a couple of other television shows in New York City. I went to New York again to 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 work in the venues and and, and, and gig around around manhattan um in that uh point in time i hooked up and we formed a band it, it was originally formed in boston uh, and we were working on the east side in manhattan for yonks um people would come in to see us and uh we got uh made a lot of uh progress from this venue that we were working in. One of the things that happened there was, uh, 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 I think a record promoter, somebody I was speaking to in between our shows 
in this venue said to me, uh, you know, there's a, 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 there's a, an opportunity you may be interested in uh, to go and do represent the U.S. in a uh, stone contest happening in Athens. So thought about it, uh, spoke to the band, said, I'll, I'll go and do this thing. We'll pick up where we left off later on. You know, we each had our opportunities and uh, we, we chased down our opportunities such as life. So I went to Athens. The long and short of that is that I met uh, Les Reed. Les Reed was one of the judges on the festival, on this Athens Song Festival. And of course, uh, Les had written all of the, the big hits for Tom Jones. Uh, Les Reed approached me after uh, the, 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 the festival was finished and said, come to London. <laughs> I think I may have some songs for you. Or if I don't, I know somebody who does. And uh, I think we can find, uh, if you're up to it, uh, uh, we can find uh, some, some common ground here and maybe get some recording done. Okay. So I went, I finished. <laughs> See how life is, is like a, it's like a, it's like watching a tennis match. Uh, the, the opportunity is flying back and forth and the ones that you're able to grasp as they uh, fly past you are the ones that will either move you on or not. Uh, so I made the decision and it turned out to be a good one to save my pennies, get on the first flight I could with my p saved pennies and get to London. There, I met, uh, through Les Reed, I met John Worth, and uh, bless him, uh, he, he, he was a wonderful man, he, he had uh, a spirit like, like Barry Gordy or somebody, you know, that, that's where he was in his mind, I think he wanted that kind of uh, degree of, sure, recognition, but he wanted to achieve that kind of, 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 of stature in the music business where, yeah, he, he was, uh, he wanted to produce, write songs and so forth. And it was the right person for me to meet in the right place at the right time. So it was one of those occasions. John Worth was a, a pivotal, point, pivotal point in my career. He'd also, he'd written songs for Marty Wilde, for Adam Faith. Um, I mean, he'd written for, a, for a, 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 by the time he wrote for you, he'd written for a number of, very, very, very well-known um, stars of that that era. Can you remember the first time uh, you heard, and I'm not going to say the name of the track because <laughs> I want you to say it, uh, that you heard that track, you know, that, that or you saw the music or he, I don't know how it would have worked. Would he have played it to you and said, this is a song I want to sing, you to sing? Um. If we're thinking about going to make you an offer, you can't refuse. <laughs> Is that the one? That's um, it. <laughs> yeah, okay. The, the, the film, uh, The Godfather, was big news, of course. It was a big deal everywhere, globally. Uh, John Worth had seen the film. I hadn't seen it yet. And so uh, when he brought this idea to me, it was like, uh, okay, you know, <laughs> the vibe. Uh, he had seen the film, and this line kept sticking in his mind, I'm going to make you an offer you can't refuse. And um, he, uh, we met the first time about this idea at uh, the 
what was it? it yeah, at, at the recording company, <clears throat> which turned out to be Fly Records, Cube Records, uh, and 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 we routined this song with uh, a new face, a new guy named Mike Moran. Mike Moran went on and did big work with uh, Freddie Mercury, uh, Barcelona, all of that, uh, amongst his other successes. He was involved with, uh, heavily involved with uh, uh, Dave Clark's uh, musical time in the West End of London. Uh, so we routined the song and routined it and kicked it around. And it, it was just kind of nice melody, but not really, there was no peaks and valleys. There was, there was not enough, you were speaking about it before. It had that all of that business, the melody down in the low range of my voice. But I'm thinking, well, where can it go to? Where's the ladder up? <laughs> you know? And uh, uh, so Mike and I were sitting around the piano one day and I came up with that falsetto bit and the little um, monologue after this, after the course, did you ever sit waiting, hoping, da, ba, 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 ba. and we molded this song out of, uh, out of, uh, yeah, a phrase, gonna make you it off, you can't refuse, but turning it into a love song. And finally, finally, it became the song that people heard on the radio and, uh, and the rest is history. Yeah, it certainly is. I mean, for me, I remember when that uh, when that came out in the in in the 70s, I would have been a teenager back then. And for me, it was that the beauty of the vocals on that song, which just sort of, I don't know, they shot up into the stratosphere, didn't they? They were just amazing. <laughs> and well, and it was it was a beautiful song. And as you say, it was a phrase that came from the Godfather, but it mm -hmm. was an unexpected twist that also, I think, helped propel it because people knew that phrase, but then yeah. they heard it as a different, as a love song, as you said. So yeah. in some way you, you turned it into something very special. Uh, it was one of those moments, uh, and there've been a few, knock wood, and thankfully, uh, a few moments when I can look uh, at that incident and say, it was an inspired moment. I say inspired from, from whichever uh, way you want to look at it. Uh, it was inspired that John Worth came up with that phrase, came up with that melody. It was inspired that we three, Mike Moran, John and I got together in the first place and came up with something that uh, held water well enough that uh, this far along afterwards, I can look at that and say, yeah, uh, I'm proud of that moment. So, 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 so thankfully the gods were smiling. <laughs> After that, um, and it seems a real shame that you, that in a way you weren't able to capitalize on that enormous success of that song um, to have, you know, a further string of hits. And you went into a period of, of, of being um, a session musician, of working with other, other acts for, for quite a, for quite a while and I want yeah. to sort of bring this up to more about the time that we met before so bringing it up mm -hmm. further and then um suddenly and I don't know how it came about because my memory's completely gone on this one but you <laughs> formed a band called London Beat with these three yeah. other guys yeah. so how did that actually come about and and what 
did you what were your feelings about the band at the beginning do you did you have real positive feelings about it working or did you feel like oh I wonder you know is this me trying again and here we go again will this work do you know what I mean because you've been through such yeah. a lot of that yeah okay well uh once again to paint the, the the picture of where I was after going to make you enough you can't refuse I wanted to I wanted to continue as a solo artist. That was my endeavor. That was that's what I wanted to be, and uh, and I knew in order to do that, I had to have songs. I did not have at that point in time my own. Uh, uh, I didn't have enough confidence in my own songwriting or or, or, or a, a mutual confidence, if you will, with the record company to say I've got this song and that song and that song as a follow up to gonna make you an offer or to maybe co-write something with John Worth, for example. None of that really uh, came to be. None of it materialized quickly enough to sustain the success that we had had with Make You an Offer, for example. So there I was uh, kind of back in the kind of uh, hinderland, if you will, uh, 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 of what's gonna happen next? What do I do now? Um, I became a bit uh, disillusioned by the, the atmosphere, uh, the, the, the relationship with the record company that I was dealing with. And uh, at that point, I went back to the US. Uh, I had family by that time, and uh, I went back to the US, uh, enrolled in a local community college, started taking some courses in computer programming and so forth to try and just get a new take on where I was. Uh, I, 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 when I speak of com computer programming, I was looking for some kind of programming that would, uh, uh, now there's loads of it. You've got all of these uh, uh, applications by which you can just load up in your uh, uh, in your in your home studio and, and make music on your own. You know, uh, if I'd had something at my fingertips at that point in time, it may be that London Beat may, would not have happened. But there you are. So after a, a time in the US, uh, I started to uh, look at my situation. I was getting fed up with computer programming. It was not what I wanted to be. Uh, I, I'm looking at the news and I see, bing, here's, uh, oh, here's a band called Eurythmics who are on the front, uh, uh, headline news on the Wall Street Journal about this, the, the, the return of the British music invasion to America, blah, blah, blah. That was the essence of this article. And I'm thinking, hmm, okay, uh, so things are cooking back in the UK again, and it may be a time for me to get back there and get something done because it's music and I want to be. Never, I've never denied that fact. Uh, so uh, we sold house in Plymouth, Massachusetts, half an hour from Boston and uh, arrived back in the UK, bang, with nothing but a dream, empty pockets and a dream, if you will. Uh, I worked in computer programming uh, to try and sort of, yeah, keep body and soul together whilst I got back into doing some session work, whatever it took to get connected back in the music scene in the UK. Long story short, uh, Steve, uh, yeah, a uh, couple of friends that I had known prior to moving back to Boston had been working with uh, uh, Paul Young. They were out on tour with Paul Young, and they were trying to get me to go out on tour with Paul Young. But as I say, and I underline, now I don't want to. I don't want to be a BV singer. I don't want to be a background singer. I I want to be a part of something that is uh, 
ours, mine or ours. If you guys are interested in getting together, maybe we can write some songs. So what happens next? These two guys that I'm speaking of, George Chandler and Jimmy Chambers, and I were doing this uh, television uh, thing. I think it was The Wire, The Wired uh, show, which came from Newcastle. We trained up to Newcastle, trained back home after it, you know. Was that the tube? The tube. Yeah, the tube. Thank you. Yeah. It was a tube. Thank yeah. you for the correction. It was not the wire, it's a tube. And, and, and so I arrived back home. My phone rings minutes after I'm in the house. And uh, this person is saying, hey, I just saw you guys on uh, yeah, on tube. And, and, and we want to know if you're interested in getting together and writing some songs. That person was Willie M. <laughs> uh, 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 and so, wow, you know, you think, well, okay, let's let's listen to it and see if there's anything in it. We met George, Jimmy, and I with Willie M. the following night, and in London, and uh, the seeds were sown for London beat from that meeting. And so it's amazing how. Uh, I don't know what you call it, what you want. I call it some kind of uh, 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 a blessing, a blessing that we were able to be uh, in that close proximity with each other. As I say, I just arrived back from from Boston shortly before this. And, uh, 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 and, and here we are in a situation. I'm I'm looking at this situation myself and I'm thinking, is this what I want to be? Uh, we have to find out. Don't don't make any decisions until you've gone through the process and found out, uh, satisfied yourself as to whether or not there's something in it worth pursuing. And it turned out that there was something pursued, pursuable in that. Hey, y'all. It's your girl, Kiki Palmer. I'm proud to introduce to you my new podcast, Baby, This is Kiki Palmer, exclusively on Amazon Music. I'm putting my friends family, and some of the hottest experts in the hot seat to ask them the questions that have been burning on my mind. What will former child stars be if they weren't actors? Is OnlyFans only bad? I want to know, so I asked my mama about it. These are the questions that keep me up at night, and I'm letting y'all all in on it. Come kick it with me and my weekly guests as we go down the rabbit hole and dive deep into my mind together. Listen to Baby This Is Kiki Palmer exclusively on Amazon Music. You're listening to Pop, The History Makers, with me, Steve Blame. Now, with, with the biggest hit I've been thinking about you, which was a number one on the Billboard charts in America, I think it was number two in Britain, it was just all over the place, just this massive, massive hit. But I think it came off the second album. So the, yes, and the first did. album wasn't um, an immediate success, but the yes, second right. album was. And I want to go back to a point where uh, we met, because you were filming the video to I've Been Thinking About You. You may not even remember I was there, but I was. I, I remember it clearly. I I loved it. And, um, and I was so shocked because there was this surprise, in a sense, and it felt like this video had to be done very quickly because the, the success of the song was so quick. And, yes. and, and you were all taken by surprise. And you were all in this 
there was this wonderful energy to it that day. And there was this wonderful feeling about it because it was such a beautiful, successful moment. And it felt like, um, you know, particularly uh, uh, for you, um, and I and I think for George and, and the other Jimmy that 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 it had taken a long, long time to get here, and taken yes. a long, long time to have this world success. How yes. was how was that for you? And and did it come as a surprise, or did you actually believe the moment you recorded it, we have something? Well, we believed we had a song that that, that yes, we had uh, 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 something with some strong possibilities as a single, uh, follow-up single too. That, uh, if I backtrack for a second, my still my favorite song of all the London beat material we've ever done was 9am. That song for me is uh, represents uh, something that is close to my heart and, and will remain so. Uh, that said, uh, uh, we got a lot of industry uh, positive response from 9am. And I think a lot of that flowed into what happened next. We went back uh, uh, when that first album, Speak, was 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 uh, was uh, was finishing up, you know, and the, we'd gotten as much mileage out of it as we could. Time to do a second album, and we we were speaking with the record company, and they're saying, you know, you need to come more uh, kind of into some middle ground that's radio friendly and blah, 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 all of that business that record companies rightfully, I guess, uh, put to, to their artists. Uh, some of it's questionable in hindsight, but there you are. Um, <laughs> we went back in and, and, and started the second album uh, with a view to, yeah, trying to become more mainstream, if you will, and, and get something that had more radio friendliness about it. Uh, I've been thinking about you happened. It was a surprise. It was a case of everybody standing up to the microphone, singing their bit of what they thought this track could sound like. Jimmy Chambers stood up to the microphone and sang almost top to bottom what we now know as that song, I've been thinking about you. And we looked at each other all and we thought, hmm, yeah, maybe we got something here. Let's 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 pursue this. We finished what we thought was the best demo we could of I've been thinking about you, sent it back to BMG and there they listened to it and said, eh, <laughs> you know. Uh, <clears throat> try again. Uh try and see if you can push this idea into something uh, more uh something, whatever. What it sounded like to us was the record company was looking for us to write our first swimming pool, <laughs> if you will, write your first mansion off this song, you know, and, 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 and it's a mistake because you're reaching for something that is not in your heart and not in your soul and so forth. So long story may, may be short as possible. We pursued the original idea of I've been thinking about you, pushed it around, pushed it around and came back time and time again, after maybe 50, 60 tries, came back to the original idea. Uh, uh, we, 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 we embellished the mix as much as we could, sent it back to the record company, and they said, okay, this is it. <laughs> Basically the same. It's like, <laughs> if it's, it's like somebody served you a meal and you say, ah, 
no, send it back to the kitchen. You, the, the kitchen sends it back and they may all, they put a couple more lettuce leaves on the plate or something, you know? <laughs> you know what it's like, Jimmy? It's like, the, it's like what William Goldman said about the film industry, no one knows anything. So, <laughs> it's true, it's so true. And, 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 and uh, uh, no business uh, is that more true than in the music business. Uh, it's, it is what it is. And in hindsight, you know, uh, it's all, you can put it down to a lesson learned here and there, but the, in the final analysis, uh, it's a lesson about the artist trusting their own integrity, trusting their own uh, uh, instincts, and you because you're always going to come back to those anyway. If you don't come back to those in the final analysis, you're going to be sorry that you didn't because you you you'll ended up uh, maybe selling your soul in some way that you you you, you didn't want to do. So, yeah. Beautifully. I want to just go back to something you mentioned because it's made me curious. It's 9 a.m. I mean, that was much more of a soulful song. What was it about? What what was close to you about that song? Can you tell me? Because you said it was it something was, very personal. It happened. Maybe it, it was probably the second song that uh, second idea, song idea that we, we, we worked on. And uh, the whole. Um, the whole situation under which 9 a.m. came to be was that <clears throat> William, Jimmy, George, and I had met, the, I think maybe the second time we met ever uh, to, to, as a, to backtrack to the story that I told you about how we met in the first place with William. We, <clears throat> we were kicking around this, this, this thing and uh, Willie handed me a cassette, <laughs> well, a little uh, really worn out cassette and he said, take this home. There's a couple of those scratchy ideas on here that maybe we can uh, look at next time if, if we meet our next time. So I took it home, shoved it into the cassette player, and this scratchy little thing was was coming back at me off the, uh, off the, off the cassette, which was the basis of the chord structure, <clears throat> excuse me, and the, 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 the atmosphere, if you will, that became 9 a.m. I got on the phone, rang Willie and said, uh, if you got anything you can bring tomorrow uh, to, 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 to move this idea on structurally, chord wise, whatever, bring it because I think maybe there's something here. He's, I said to him, I remember this, uh, we might have a song here for Tina Turner. <laughs> that was my, uh, uh, I was at, at that point in time, London Beat was not yet an entity. We were just some guys getting together to write songs. And, and, and it, with that in mind, I'm thinking, well, ah, if this is an idea, who could we give it to? For, for, for? London Beat had, was, 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 uh, was just a twinkle in our eye at that point. You know, we, were, we were songwriters together at that point. So we, together the next night, the next time we met, we pushed this eye idea into what became the 90% basis of 9am. Uh, uh, it's a wonderful story with this song because the strings and everything was uh, an idea that struck uh, from the man who had done the strings for a lot of the eurythmic, eurythmics uh, material. Uh, here comes the rain again. If you listen to that track and listen to the strings, the, 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 the the, the man who did the string arrangements for that, uh, it, it, 
is the same guy. So all of these little stories make for something very precious for me when it comes to certain of our titles and 9EM being the precious one for me. I remember an evening after that massive success and I think it was William. This is pretty vague because there was a lot of alcohol involved in this night, and and a what? couple of and a couple of buses. Yeah. And oh, I think buses, yeah. do you remember? Yeah. What there was a <laughs> London beat party on two sort of coaches or bus London buses. Yeah, there was two <laughs> London buses, and we and I I need to sort of explain this a little bit to everyone, but it was organised that we went to different people's homes where a party mm -hmm. was already set up. We would yep. go in, the music would go on, we'd have a little party for, I don't know, half an hour, a klaxon would go off, we'd have to go back on the bus, and then we'd go off. And we ended up also at the limelight, and the last place we ended up was some Italian restaurant, I think, which had opened kindly for us to serve us all espressos in the early hours. But this was one of the greatest parties I'd been on in my life, because it was such a lot of fun. Oh, wonderful. Were you there? I was there. <laughs> yeah, I see. I can't remember much about it. I'm sorry. <laughs> I was there. I'll tell you, I'll get you once again a tiny bit of backstory about how that idea of doing this bus party thing happened in the first place. We were in, uh, what was it? I think uh, Monte Carlo, somewhere doing a television, and uh, we <clears throat> they transported us from our hotel to a uh, place where they were having, you know, the, the record company was having a party for us in this restaurant. And in this restaurant, uh, we, we had a great time. We, we, we were there any number of times when we were in that neck of the woods. But in this restaurant, the musicians would, they had these roving musicians who would come around to your table. And we would, we were laughing by the fact because as the music sped up, your, your eating process got faster and faster. The faster the music got, the faster you ate. So we were, we were throwing these ideas around about what, because if you remember, uh, maybe not because we were drinking so much that night at this party you're speaking of, uh, Sandra Turnbull, William and I, were all Librans. We were born all close around the same point in time in the, uh, late September, early October. And so we decided we were going to have this party to uh, to celebrate our, our, our combined birthday, if you will, you know, and, uh, and, and, and a lot of things, a lot of other things at the same time. So I, I can't remember, I think Willie and Sandra and I collaborated about how we're going to do this thing. And somebody said, we could do it on a, on, on a city bus in London, but how are you going to do that? So it boiled down to two buses <laughs> stopping at all these places, a shot of tequila or tin in this place, and then maybe a couple more and a beer to, to, to top it off. In the, and so we ended up in this Italian restaurant. It was an amazing night. It was an amazing night. We're still talking about it. It was it was genius. It really was genius. Another thing that happened as well, I believe I trained, this is inverted commas, all of you <laughs> as an interview trainer one evening. You did? Yeah. 
And I have no idea why, because talking to you today, I should, there was never any reason to be to have to oh, train London. No, you were all such good talkers. You were always such good talkers. But that was another, that was another really special occasion. That was at Williams flat, wasn't it? I think we went yes, there. Sir. Yep, yep. I think uh, if, if memory serves, you were doing uh, some things for MTV. Yeah, that's right. I was presenting on MTV yeah. and interviewing people and they... And I think the record company then phoned me up and said, would you like to do some uh, interview training with London V? And I was like, yep. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> Absolutely. fantastic. <laughs> and it was well, fantastic. It was, it, yeah, so it was, it was um, yeah, we, 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 Sandra was very good at uh, 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 many things, managerial uh, uh, duties, if you will. But she was, she was very good at spotting what needed to be done, what we needed to look like on stage, uh, how we're going to, uh, ideas for the next video, all of these things, which quite honestly, as an artist, I had not ventured into, uh, I didn't feel like it was my territory to, to, to start doing input for, you see, but Sandra encouraged us to, 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 uh, to, to bring our ideas forth and, 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 inject our, our, our own feelings about this, that, or other uh, aspect of what we were doing as a band. And um, one of those things uh, was to get on board somebody who could give us some instruction, give us some ideas about how to, how to respond in, in, in an interview situation and uh, not waffle. I remember using that. Don't waffle. <laughs> I think I think I said that. The, I think the thing was you were a group of four people, and a group is always much more difficult when a question is given to a group. It's easier on a one-to-one -one interview basis for the person to answer because then they know they're the one answering. But when it's a group, everyone wants to get their piece in and it's actually sort of paying respect to each other. Anyhow, I'm not going to give you a lesson again, because this is ridiculous. No, no. <laughs> but I what I want to say, it, it really pleases me that London Beat, or the, the today, new London Beat, which is without William today, mm -hmm. yes. um, and you are still um, performing, and you're, you're out there, and you're still singing. Um, can you tell me how it is for you today um, to, to be still, and if I can say, you know, you're over 80 and you're yes. performing on stage and you have a wonderful energy and charisma and power still today. I mean, you always Thank had you. it, but you really have it today. And that pleases me so immensely. So how is it for you to be out there touring and playing, still playing gigs? Uh, I can sum it up, I think in a couple of words, uh, at my age, uh, I get up every day, every morning, I go to bed at night, and the first thing I hear in the morning and the last thing I hear at night is the old man knocking at the door. I've worked out the way that I ain't gonna let him in. <laughs> okay, <laughs> boom. <laughs> and that's, that's um, once, uh, I've, 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 I've made that conclusion. Uh, the rest, it simplifies. It simplifies the process. For if you, if you make that decision, that yeah, uh, you get older, but you don't have to get old. You know, you age, but you don't have to. Uh, uh, I'm not ready for the the walking stick quite yet. 
So if when it happens, I'll I'll, I'll embrace that part of my life. But for now, uh, the energy is still good. I think um, the blessing is, as I look around at uh, the period in time that we had our success with London Beat, and I look at other artists that I can compare our, uh, uh, not necessarily the level of success, I'm not talking about that, I'm talking about how you are perceived as time has gone on, how your how your uh, music has, has, has stood or not stood the test of time. And one thing that stands out for me as an example is I was looking, uh, 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 I'm, a, I'm an avid uh, news reader and especially uh, in the music scene. Uh, after all of these years, Rolling Stone magazine, you know, Rolling Stone has decided this year that Marvin Gaye should be in the top five of most important singers in of our you know uh, of our time of our generation and preceding generation etc so for that to happen now what, how long has Marvin Gaye not been with us and you look at that and uh, I look at it myself and I say there's a perception here of some this music is being perceived now to have elevated itself from the time when it was originally uh, recorded and performed. Marvin Gaye has been gone a long time, but his stature in the music business has elevated itself in a way that makes me think, yeah, there's something about longevity that is uh, is, a, is a blessing. And, uh, and, and, and for as long as I can embrace that, keeping the old man outside the door, <laughs> I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna keep doing it, Steve. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, I hope that longevity uh, goes for a very, very long time. Because <laughs> one thing I want to say to you is that I really appreciate your talent and your voice and how it's enriched our culture and enriched my life. And it is an absolutely beautiful, beautiful, voice so jimmy helms thank you from the bottom of my heart it was so lovely to see you again thank you thank you steve and as they say it ain't over till the fat lady sings and uh i ain't hearing her sing yet so there's more music coming and uh fingers crossed when it's ready i'll scratch something across to you and, and see what you think of it but it's been an absolute joy speaking to you and all the wonderful golden memories of of those times of flooding back but let's uh, push it on and see what happens in the future. Great, Jimmy. And I'm going to come and see you in concert whenever I've got the opportunity. So thank you. And I'll see you again. Bye. Thank you. Bye bye. What a life. Wonderful. That's it for now. Look out for more interviews on Pop, the History Makers. Mm -hmm.